Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep His testimonies, who seek Him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in His ways. You have commanded Your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping Your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all Your commandments. I will praise You with an upright heart when I learn Your righteous rules. I will keep Your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. Hey, teach me, O Lord, the way of Your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep Your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of Your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to Your testimonies, and do not, and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things, and give me life in Your ways. Confirm to Your servant Your promise that You may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for Your rules are good. Behold, I long for Your precepts. In Your righteousness, give me life. Zayin. Remember Your word to Your servant, in which You have made, made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, that Your promise gives me life. The insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from Your law. When I think of Your rules from old, I take comfort, O Lord. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake Your law. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. I remember Your name in the night, O Lord, and keep Your law. This blessing has fallen to me that I have kept Your precepts. The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep Your words. I entreat Your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to Your promise. You have dealt with Your servant, O Lord, according to Your word. You are good and do good. Teach me Your statutes. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn Your statutes. The law of Your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Taw. Let me, my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. My lips will pour forth praise for you. Teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word for all your commandments are right. Let your hand be ready to help me for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you, and let your rules help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek out your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Brian. Uh, well, as you heard Pastor Howard say, uh, my name is Omari Hill. I'm the ruling elders here at Christ Central Church. Give a welcome to all of those who are visiting this morning. Um, I wanted to take a moment before we get into the sermon just to just to give a word of thanks. I want to, I mean, while we're taking this time and we're thanking God for what He's doing with our kids, I, I just want to give Him praise and give Him thanks in, in the presence of all of you. Um, this is my last week as a ruling elder of this church, and it's been a great, great journey a wonderful opportunity to serve all of you. And um, I just want to say thank you to all of you. Uh, those of you who allowed me to, to speak into your lives and to, to be a part of your struggles and 
to come alongside you and be a part of your story. And, you know, as imperfect, as limited as I am, and, you know, gosh, I was still in the midst of seminary, and y'all allowed me to do that stuff. Um, thank you. And um, I'm thankful to God that as I've had time to, to walk with you, that um, because of you, you know, God has used you to enlarge my heart for his church, give me more compassion for his people. And so I just want to say thank you. I, I feel like um, I feel like like Oscar Schindler and Schindler's List a little bit, you know, at the end where he's all like, you know, I, I could have did more. I could have did more. This this gold watch right here. You know, I could have I could have did more. And I, I feel that a little bit. I feel like I could have did more. So to 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 those of you that, you know, I didn't follow up with to those of you who I maybe have hurt with my words, with my actions, I apologize. And I hope that you can forgive me. And I hope that we can continue to walk together um, imperfect before a perfect God. Um, knowing that he'll he'll help us all together, lead us into his presence. So again, thank you. Um, I'm also going into RUF, as Pastor Howard said. So, you know, starting in campus ministry uh, right around the corner. So I know some of you have been interested in this ministry, and uh, many of you have already um, given in, in, in different ways financially. You've given me some contacts. Thank you so much. And um, I know there are others here who have expressed an, an, an interest in, in doing things like that. Um, there's still opportunity. You still have time. So uh, come and talk to me afterward if you like, if you want to talk about, you know, how can I help out financially, or I know some students that maybe you need to contact. Just come and talk to me. I'd love to sit with you. And if you don't have time after church, I can get you some free coffee or something, give you some lunch. So if you want some food, then just come talk to me. All right. Um, we're continuing our sermon series through the Psalms, and we've come to this Psalm, Psalm 119, and as, as Brad <laughs> showed us that oh, Psalm 119 is pretty long, um, and you, you saw as he read this thing that, you know, there were, you know, some weird things here, things like Aleph and Hay and Zion and Tav. You know, this is, these are um, letters from the Hebrew alphabet. So if you look at Psalm 119, if you have a Bible, you see that's incredibly long, but, you know, there are these, these stanzas that have like eight verses each. And you can't see it in the English, but in the Hebrew, the beginning of each verse starts with the letter that, um, that has each part. So for Aleph, you know, um, you know, right there, each line begins with an Aleph. And that's to do what kind of what we've just witnessed, um, what Dee and others have been doing um, for these past few weeks with our young people, which is to, to give instruction but to help people by giving them a, a means to re- remember God's word. So you have this Hebrew alphabet. It's, it's easy. You know, you can, okay, I, you know, this is Aleph. And, it, you know, you repeat these things in your mind, and it kind of helps you remember. Um, but Psalm 19 does a little bit more than this. The Psalm 119 doesn't, it's not like, say, um, like Psalm 51 or something like that. It doesn't have these, these liner notes in it that tell you a specific historical situation, what's going on. You know, you don't get that kind of thing. In fact, most of the psalms don't do that. Uh, most of the psalms are, are given to apply to a, a general situation, something that most of us are familiar with, something that we all go through. And so Psalm 119 is just like this. It, it's a psalm for a general situation. And so why don't we just, just go right ahead, jump right into it, without me giving any more introduction to the psalm. And hopefully y'all got all that. All right, so verse 1. It says here, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, 
who walk in the law of the Lord. I think the situation in this text is pretty simple. The psalmist here is in trouble. He's in a tough spot. And then he remembers what it means to be blessed. And he longs for what the Bible calls the blessedness of God. Not just the blessings of God, but the blessedness of God. Here he says this in verse 5. He says, Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. He longs for something, okay? But, but what is this blessedness? We get a clue here in verse 8 where he says, I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. So obviously, this means that entering into blessedness requires uh, walking in his ways, doing no wrong. It is to have your, your eyes fixed on all his commandments, as it says, and then you will not be put to shame. You won't be forsaken by God. This is blessedness. It's to live in the presence of God, face to face, without shame. This is blessedness. But we all find it kind of difficult to keep at God's word. I'm convinced that people like you and me are not not very convinced that living in the presence of God is the sum of all blessings. And how do I know this? Well, because we, we all have one particular struggle. There's this professor at uh, UNC Chapel Hill. His name is uh, Bart Ehrman. Some of you probably heard of him. He's a New Testament scholar. Not a big fan of the New Testament, though. So I don't understand how he does that, but anyway, that's, that's what he is. Um, and one of the things that he does to his students, uh, typically the first week of school, there might be some Chapel Hill students here, too. I mean, y'all probably get this from him. Uh, <laughs> go heels. Um, so one of the things that he does is he'll, he'll pose this question to his students and he'll say, all right, well, how many of you believe that the Bible is God's word? And, you know, all these hands will go up you know, and people. Are like, OK. And then he says, well, how many of you read Harry Potter? You know, all these hands go up. How many of you have read all of the Harry Potter books? Well, these hands go up. Then he says, how many of you have read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation? Hands going down, hands going down. And he says this. If we believe that the Bible is really God's word, shouldn't we be more interested in what he has to say? See, I think he gets out of struggle that we all have. That struggle is a lack of interest in the scriptures. And the, here we have some things in the psalm that they should disturb us. I mean, even those of us that have, that have pretty good quiet times, right, that do our devotions pretty well. We, by the time we get about halfway through the psalm, you should feel a little less chipper by the time you get halfway through it. Because it says things like this. Teach me your righteous rules. I delight in your commandments. Your law is, is better than thousands of, of, of gold and silver pieces. I mean, do we really pray these things? Really? We usually read the, the memoirs of some homeless musician or even a dead professor before we'll, we'll read deeply into God's word. Yet the very words of scripture are the means for its readers to enter into the blessedness of God. But here's the good news. 
there is help for us today. There's help for all of us here. And the songwriter of this text before us has provided a tune to retune our hearts toward the Lord and get a clear picture of what he has in store for those who seek his commandments. And uh, here's a case for reading God's word. Three things. It helps us to know God and by relation ourselves. It helps us to become more like him. And it helps us to remember that we have a future with God. So for those of you taking notes, those are your three points right there. So first, what, what do we learn about ourselves from God's word? Well, let's look again at this melody. Verse 33, it says, teach me, O Lord. And then in verse 34, it says, give me understanding. Verse 35, lead me. We are people that need to be taught. That's what it's saying. We're always students in the school of life, whether we're 10 years old or great-grandparents. But the problem is that some of us, many of us, we hate having to learn. Um, you know, a few of us did well in school, but we did well because we had to. And some of us flunked out because we thought every day in school was like living in hell. But you know, regardless of where we are, with our desire to learn, we need to listen. So the psalmist confesses in verse 54, he says, your statutes, that is your words, have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. So here's what's being said about us. We are strangers in this world. All of us are just passing through. We live in a house of sojourning. And so who of us has been here long enough to know everything about life? But sometimes we pretend that we do. Sometimes we're tempted to believe that we know everything, don't we? We're tempted to believe that we have all of life figured out. So when people like our friends come to us and they try to help us, we ignore them. Or if we join a community group and the community group leader is trying to teach us something or wants to share something, what do we do? We don't listen. And we just keep talking and talking and yapping and you know, sharing all of our great insights from our limited lives. Or we do the other thing. We don't speak at all. We don't speak at all because silently we disagree with what's being said to us because we trust in our own wisdom. That's a little bit sneakier, isn't it? But this is a dangerous way to live. But to be fair, some of us have learned that we've had to live a self-taught life as a means of survival. Maybe you put your lack of knowledge out there and you were teased. Maybe you put, you were put to shame by other people. You were, you were shunned because you weren't some all-knowing, you know, alien from another galaxy. And it's, you know, you think about it, it's crazy. And I remember when I was in, in middle school and, uh, I used to get teased a lot because I didn't know all the details about sexuality and female anatomy. What? How am I supposed to know all this? I'm 11 years old. But yet, you know, you know, guys are always teasing. Oh, you don't know this. You've never seen that. And, um, you know, constantly being teased because of that. And then what that does to you is it makes you think, you know what? You know, maybe I need to grasp this knowledge so that I can stop being teased. And as a side note here, um, some guys out there who are players or some of your husbands who may be struggling with pornography, they may be doing that because they used to be little boys who were teased all the time. 
Just a side note. But let me get back to the text. Related to this, related to this, this, um, this longing that we have, related to this hurt that even young boys experience because they don't have the knowledge that they need in order to be cool and order to be accepted, is this idea that maybe some of us didn't have people in our lives who were wiser than us. Either because of death or divorce or some form of absence, some of us didn't have someone who would sit down and talk with us and have that, that awkward birds and the bees talk. And then some of us didn't have someone walk with us through balancing a budget, starting a career, taking care of your body, raising a child. And so you had to do it all by yourself. And of course, some of us, some of us are just plain scared. And people who were supposed to be wiser than us abused us. Maybe there was some teacher who ridiculed you in front of the whole classroom because you raised your hand and asked a silly question. Or maybe it was a parent who got mad at you because you asked too many questions. And maybe you sat in somebody's lap to learn about life. And in that profound moment of trust, they did something horrible. And instead of life, something in you died. Again, we may not like to learn, but the need to learn comes along with the need to survive. And so it makes it necessary. Well, let me ask you this question. Are you tired yet? It may be difficult for us to trust God because we're unsure about who he is. But his word, it teaches us who he is. And this is the second part of my first point. The psalmist declares in verse 68, you are good and do good. Both of these things are important for our trust in him. Because if, if God is only good, or if he only does good, but it's not goodness itself, then it's impossible for us to trust that he's always working in our best interest. Because all of his good deeds are always accountable to something that's greater than him. But then on the other hand, if God is only the essence of God, but doesn't do good, then that means he's completely removed from our day-to-day existence. And we have no reason to really believe that he'll do anything on our behalf. In fact, he can't do anything on our behalf. And all he can do is hand us a bunch of rules. But this, this, this is part of the, the lie that comes from the, the, what the psalmist calls the wicked, the insolent, the arrogant. The lie is this, that God is absent, that God is abusive, that God is a tyrant. It's a cry that, that says, teach yourself, because you can only trust yourself. It's a cry that says, wisdom is within you. It's a cry for people to become their own prophets. And the Bible calls this the spirit of wickedness. If I could even put it this way, it's demonic. And I think we all believe this. I think we all believe this at some point or another. And when we do, we're playing with death. 
I mean, this large world that's full of abuse and absence, we're all headed for the cliff. It's just a matter of time. But you might be thinking right now, okay, Amari really needs to calm down. (laughs) Uh, He's being a little too serious. I mean, demonic, you know, all right, come on. But if we think about Genesis chapter 3, what does it tell us? Genesis chapter 3 tells us that our first parents were living well in the presence of God. And then Satan came along. And then in the spirit of arrogance, he came along and he told them what? He said, you can't trust God. God is abusive. God is absent. God is a tyrant. So Adam and Eve believed Satan. Then they stopped listening to God. Then the next thing you know, squirrels are getting run over by cars. (laughs) Thanks for the courtesy laugh. Uh, (laughs) But the point is that, that evil infects every area of life. And we all participate in this, whether we're Christians or not. I mean, here's what's being said. We commit the same offense that Adam did. And it's just like Lauren Hill said, that loving a lie not realizing an atom will die. But the word reveals the truth about God in ourselves. And if we believe it, we'll be brought before life itself and complete goodness. The word is the only thing that is capable of doing this. And yet, yet it does more than this. It not only gives us true knowledge about God, but it also means we get to become like him. And this is our second point. But this also may be the hardest thing for some of us in reading the Bible. For we know that when we read it, we might be asked to become like someone or something that we don't like. Honestly, we're not always convinced of the beauty of God. Do you trust his heart? Do you long to be like him? And I don't mean having the ability to see the future and to, you know, zap things and stuff like that, but I mean having a heart like his. And this is the purpose of God's blessings, that we should taste of his goodness. And then the Bible says we should then turn to him so that we can be conformed to his character. Here in verse 7, the psalmist says, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. So as we learn his righteous rules, our hearts become upright, and then the proper response is praise. If we have problems worshiping God, maybe it's not because God hasn't been good. Maybe it's because we want all his blessings, but we want nothing to do with his character. Contrary to the prayer that's here in verses 36 and 37, it's actually really easy for us to focus on worthless things. And so people have told us time and time again, maybe it was your grandparents or you know, somebody that you trusted, they told us that the thing that we love most is the thing that we'll become. So if you worship money, you tend to see yourself and others as a commodity. If you worship relationships, you tend to become codependent, and so forth and so on. This is how it works. 
But the point is not that we should be disgusted with money or be disgusted with relationships or anything that God has made good. The point is that we should consider God worth more than all these things. And if we would consider the goodness and the glory of God, then we should want to become more like him. But maybe this is why people like you and myself find it hard to utter these words that the psalmist says, like, lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. I mean, these seem like impossible words, especially if we think that God has not looked out for us. We made some vow to God, but he didn't hold up his end of the bargain. We pledged to do something in his name. I settled down and I had a family, Lord. I decided to be around for my kids, Lord. I moved halfway across the country, Lord. I gave up my addiction, Lord. But you left me hanging. You haven't held up your part of the deal. Where's my happiness? Why do I feel so alone? Why am I so tired? You let me down, Lord. And we all have these moments, don't we? At some point or another, we do. And some of us are living in that right now. But worshiping God seems like the last thing, the last thing on our minds when we're in this. And we think God is lousy or that he's too, he's too busy dealing with all that mess that's going on in the Middle East or something. God slacked off on his blessing. I mean, that's, that's where we go sometimes. I mean, let's keep it real. That's, I mean, that's where we go sometimes. What's to be done? The good news is that we don't have to depend on ourselves for any of this. Having our hearts conform to the image of God is something that's pretty high on his list. This is why the psalmist can confess his own inability, even as all of us should. And he says here, if you look in verses 4 and 5, I mean, this is, this is a person who's not a super Christian. Listen to this. He says, you have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. All right? There's the burden. But then he says, oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then there's verse 34. He says this, Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with all my heart. And in 36, Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. We have to ask God to give us a desire to keep his testimonies with our whole heart because we're naturally given to selfish gain. But God is willing to make us like him. He's willing to to help us to become conformed to his word. And it's incredible to think that God would help us to know him, and it's still another thing to think that God would help us to become like him. All right, then this is last thing. Verse 49. Remember your word to your servant, in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort and my affliction, that your promise gives me life. And then in verse 52, he says, when I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. 
Now, how could God's rules give us comfort in affliction? I mean, you would think that, you know, being healed or having our situation fixed is what would give us the comfort. But here the, the text says, your promise gives me life. What's he talking about? This is the very promise that God made to Abraham when he told him that he would give him children more numerous than the stars of the sky and that he would be their God and they would be his people and that he would bring them to a place and there they would dwell with him together in complete righteousness. So this is why the psalmist has hope because he's one of Abraham's children and it gives him hope because this world is not the way it's supposed to be. But he has another world that he looks forward to. And here again is another obstacle between us and the word of God. Somewhere along the way, we've become convinced that this world is all that there is. And we either really like that idea or we really hate it. So we either believe that things will never change and we live depressed. Or we hope that things will never change and we live with illusions. But God wants us to know that he's preparing a place for those who love him and wait for his appearing. He wants you and I to to look forward to a better country and long for a place where all relationships and things operate according to his will. In the face of affliction, do we believe that there's no promise left for us and we're left on our own? Or do we really believe that we can handle our suffering and God's promises aren't necessary? And that means all is hopeless. And these are the whispers of the arrogant and the wicked. And this is why the psalmist can say, hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Because if he believes the lies of the wicked, then he's a dead man. And the truth is, if we believe him, so are we. And without the word of God, we don't have God's word to make a difference between life and death. And that's what this is all about. It's about a difference between life and death. God's word, this is not about some kind of one to grow on special, you know, on Saturday morning. It's not about a book club recommendation. It's not about personal reading for our, you know, emotional kind of pick me up. But this is about life and death. God's word is the true word of hope and promise. And to everyone who believes in his word, he draws near and he brings them from death into everlasting life. This life is something that he gives by his grace. Look at verse 40. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. Notice he says, in your righteousness, not in my righteousness. The promise of God comes to those who share in his righteousness and not as a result of our own goodness. I mean, the scriptures say that Abraham trusted in God's promise and God credited to him as righteousness. And it also teaches that anyone who has the same faith as Abraham is a child of Abraham. 
So what have we said so far? What are the benefits of God's word for the children of Abraham? By his word, we come to know God. By his word, we become more like God. And by his word, we're reminded that we have a future with God. If you think about this, this is all relational language. So we miss out on a deep and an intimate hope that God has in store for those who will believe in him. Now, maybe up to this point, you may have been thinking, you know, Amari's preaching a, you know, get off your duff and read your Bible kind of sermon. Yeah, in some ways I am. But that's not the complete story. And it can't be the complete story. Because it's not the complete story of this text. We have a writer. A writer here. The person who wrote this song. Who's not some spiritual marine. He's not like the Jack Bauer of Old Testament people or something. But he's, he's a man who's, who's weary and worried. Look with me again at verse 169. He says this. I got to get to it myself only at the end. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. My lips will pour forth praise for you. Teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word for all your commandments are right. Let your hand be ready to help me. For I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord. And your law is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you. And let your rules help me. And then here it is. In the final verse, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. Did you catch that? When I was preparing to preach this sermon, I almost missed it. And I thank God that I didn't because this verse is probably the most hopeful verse in this whole song. What do I mean? This verse says two things to us. First, that you and I don't have to be incredibly strong in our faith in order to have a thirst for God's word. We just need to be weary of our own techniques, our own wisdom, our own goals, agendas, dreams. We have to be tired of trying to use the Bible as a seven-step program for an easy life or your best life now. Here's a man who sounds tired, worn out, and alone. This is a man who's desperate for God. And he's not just desperate for his blessings. He's just not wanting to, you know, get the gifts and forget the giver. But he wants the very presence of God. And not only God, but he wants fellowship with those who honestly hope in God for their salvation. He wants to be back. He wants to be back with his shepherd. And the sheep. Here's what he says again. He said, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. This man is living in the thicket of life. He's stuck there. 
And maybe that's where some of you are today. Maybe some of you are in the thicket of life, stuck there. And even though you sit in the midst of this congregation with so many kinds of Christians, you might feel very far from God. When was the last time you heard from your shepherd? When was the last time you felt the touch of his rod and his staff? When was the last time you were with others who genuinely showed their need to, to eat from the hand of God? I want to encourage you. This is not about our own strength. This is not about our own strength to, to keep ourselves in a right relationship with God. It's not about our own strength to keep his word. But it's about the ability of God's word to keep us. The psalmist cries out, seek your servant. And then many years later, the apostle John, he told us that the word of God itself became flesh and dwelt among us. He was talking about Jesus. And then Jesus confessed this about himself. He said that he's the good shepherd. So in John chapter 10, John's gospel, it says this. These are Jesus' words. I am the good shepherd. I know my own. And my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And this is how we come to share in God's righteousness. Because if we believe in this word, who became like one of us, we also believe that he gave up his life for his sheep. Sheep who, like us, consistently abuse and abandon our shepherd and his father time and time again. But there's more than that. Jesus continues with these words. Listen to this. He says, this is still John chapter 10. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. I hope you caught that. Because this is the second thing that this last verse in Psalm 119 teaches us. And it teaches us this, that we have a shepherd that seeks us out. We have a shepherd that holds us in his very grip. When I think about this, you have to ask, how can we neglect so great a salvation? And unless we come to the place of neediness from which this psalmist speaks, then we'll sing very little of his song and pray very little of his prayer. You know, I think about even when I was in high school, even college, how sometimes I'd come home and, you know, I'd uh, t 
turn on the stereo and I put in some R&B, maybe it was Jodeci or somebody like that, and, you know, Forever My Lady or something, you know. And, uh, you know, and I sit there and I want to listen to this stuff. And, you know, and there are times when I just wanted to enjoy the music, but there are also times when I wanted to escape. And I wanted to escape because I had these, this pain of abandonment. And I thought, you know, maybe, yeah, maybe one day I could, I could, you know, I could have what, what Bobby Brown and these guys are talking about, what they're singing about. You know, I can have this relationship where I'm, I'm known and, yeah, I'm with my lady and all this kind of stuff and um, I don't have to be alone. So maybe for five minutes of my confusing life, I could finally have a moment where I felt fulfilled. But then when those five minutes were over, was right back into the reality of abuse and abandonment. But this song, this song is not for fantasizing. This psalmist, he calls us to be real about our loss and our longing and to bring these things before the Lord. He wants us to acknowledge it and to pray to the Lord among people who trust in this same God. He wants us to to call out to the shepherd of our souls. And our shepherd has spoken so that we might know him, that we might become like him, and that we might remember that we have a future with him. Why? Because he's making us fit to live with him forever. This, this people, this is the meaning of blessedness. That we would live before God and live with him face to face without any shame. You and I were made for God. You're his. And he will never let you go until the day that you see him face to face. God has given us his word to show us the way. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, you know that we travel in dark places, hard places. Many times in our lives we are caught in a tough spot. You know, Lord, that we are real with ourselves that one of the last things that we do is pick up your word. Lord, we thank you that you seek us out, that you do not leave us alone. Lord, we praise you because opening up your Bible is it's about relationship. It's about the fact that you, you declare to us that we are yours. We belong to you. This is an identity issue, God. Father, we pray, just as David prayed, that you would create in us a clean heart and renew a right spirit within us.
And then there's a rest, Lord. That you would restore to us the joy of our salvation. Lord, I pray that you would not leave us alone. Even now, that you would seek us out. Give us hearts that long for you. Help us to open up our hearts in song and in prayer, even as we open your word. Help us to trust you. We pray these things in the name of our shepherd. Amen.